Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, ordained minister and chaplain at JHE Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us. Turn your Bibles to chapter 16, verse 9 of the book of Luke, and let's get into it. Last time we finished chapter 15, and we began chapter 16 with a parable of the shrewd steward. So today we're going to continue and finish up this parable of the shrewd steward, beginning with verse 9. Now, we did read this last time, so I do encourage you to read this again uh, to refresh your memories. But let's continue with our commentary with verse 9. We should make friends for ourselves by means of unrighteous mammon. That is, we should use money and other material things in such a way as to win souls for Christ and thus form friendships that will endure throughout eternity. Now, money can be used to buy Bibles and books, religious tracts, and indirectly the souls of men by doing that. What was material and temporary becomes immortal, becomes non-material, spiritual, and eternal. And here is a man who has $100 that he may spend it all on a banquet or an evening party, in which case the next day, there is absolutely nothing to show for it. On the other hand, if he invests in, say, Bibles at a dollar each, it buys a hundred copies of the Word of God. These he justice, uh, judiciously sows as seeds of the kingdom, and that seed springs up into a harvest, not of Bibles, but of souls. Out of the unrighteous, he has made immortal friends who, when he fails, receive him into everlasting habitations. This, then, is the teaching of our Lord. By the wise investment of material possessions, we can have part in the eternal blessing of men and women. We can make sure that when we arrive at the gates of heaven, there will be a welcoming committee of those who were saved through our sacrifice of giving and of prayers. These people will thank us, saying, it was you who invited me to be here. Man generally is God's steward, and in another sense, and in another way, Israel was God's steward, put into God's vineyard and entrusted with law, promises, covenants, and worship. But in all, Israel found to have wasted God's goods. Man looked at as a steward has been found to be entirely unfaithful. Now, what is to be done? God appears and in the sovereignty of his grace turns that which man has abused on earth into means of heavenly fruit. The things of this world being in the hands of man, he is not to be using them for the present enjoyment of this world, which is altogether apart from God, but with a view to the future. We are not to seek to possess the things now, but by the right use of these things, make a provision for other times. It is better to turn all into a friend for another day than to have money now. 
And man here is gone to destruction. Therefore now man is a steward that's out of place. Christians do not belong to this evil age, but they can nevertheless make responsible use of worldly wealth. The friends may not refer to any particular people, but simply be part of the parable's imagery. And usually they have been understood as being poor people for whom Jesus had a deep concern and to whom we are here urged to give alms. Worldly wealth should not be stored up for oneself since one day it will be gone. And the theme of stewardship is now discussed in verse 10 in terms of trustworthiness as over against dishonesty. We are faithful in our stewardship of what is least, such as this money. Then we will be faithful in handling what is much, which is spiritual treasures. On the other hand, a man who is unrighteous in using the money which God has entrusted to him is unrighteous when bigger considerations are at stake. The relative unimportance of money is emphasized by the expression of what is least. Verse 11, the property here is someone else's, now presumably God's, in contrast to the parable's imagery in which the amount forgiven was the manager's own commission. Anyone who is not honest in using unrighteous mammon for the Lord can scarcely expect him to entrust true riches to him. Now, money is called unrighteous mammon. It is not basically evil in and of itself, but there probably wouldn't be any need for money if sin had not come into the world. And money is unrighteous because it is characteristically used for purposes other than the glory of God. It is contrasted here with true riches. The value of money is uncertain and temporary. The value of spiritual realities is fixed and eternal. Now, verse 12 distinguishes between what is another's and what is your own. All that we have, our money, our time, our talents, belong to the Lord, and we are to use them for him. That which is our own refers to rewards which we reap in this life and in the life to come as a result of our faithful service for Christ. If we have not been faithful in what is his, how can he give us what is our own? In verse 13, it is utterly impossible to live for things and to live for God at the same time. If we are mastered by money, we cannot really be serving the Lord. In order to accumulate wealth, we must devote our finest efforts to that task. In the very act of doing this, we rob God of what is rightfully his. It is a matter of divided loyalty. Motives are mixed. Decisions are not impartial. 
Where our treasure is, there our heart is also. In the effort to gain wealth, we are serving mammon. It is quite impossible to serve God at the same time. A mammon cries out for all that we have and are, our evenings, our weekends, the time we should be given to the Lord. And verse 13 is also appropriate to the context. The Greek word earlier that was translated worldly wealth is now translated as money, though one may have both God and money. We cannot serve them both. And to reflect briefly here on verses 1 through 13, before entering our next session, we saw that Jesus commends the man's foresight, not his dishonesty, his providing for his future, not his crooked method of doing it. And for reference, a measure of oil was about nine gallons, and a measure of wheat was about 11 bushels. Just a little food for thought there. As the steward made friends by the dishonest use of his master's goods, so we should make friends by the honest use of the gifts God has given us, financial and otherwise. It is a beautiful picture. Those whom we have befriended will be at the door to welcome us home to heaven. Jesus said, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus said hard things about money, or rather about the love of money. Greed is one of the most harmful sins since it focuses entirely on ourselves and on our wants rather than needs. We have to have money to supply our daily needs. This is true. But the struggle is in our hearts as to whom we really serve and whom we really depend on. The money itself or on God who gives the money. Some food for thought there. Now, our next section is going to be about the greedy Pharisees, the law, the prophets, and the kingdom. So join with me here in verse 14, and let's read the next four verses here. Now, the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justly yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Let's quickly start taking a look at verse 14 here. Money links the next verses with the preceding. The charge that the Pharisees do not have a proper sense of values leads to the saying about the value of the kingdom and the law. In turn, the reference to the permanence of the law becomes the occasion for a specific example of a contested moral standard, divorce and marriage. And we'll see more, we'll talk more about that in verse 18. But regarding verse 14, Jewish teachers in Hellenistic society were aware that philosophers often taught for fees. Our rabbis in the first centuries of our era often had 
secular jobs. If you recall, Paul, who preached the gospel, was also a tent maker and earned his keep. But the Pharisees would not have been immune to desires for remuneration commensurate with their own sense of importance. The Pharisees were not only proud and hypocritical, they were greedy as well. They thought that godliness was a way of gain. They chose religion as one who would choose a lucrative profession. Their service was not feared to glorify God and help their neighbors, but it was rather to enrich themselves. As they heard Jesus teach that they should forgo wealth in this world and lay up treasure in heaven, they expressed ridicule and contempt for Jesus. To them, money was more real than the promises of God, and nothing was going to hinder them from hoarding their wealth. And with that, we are running short of time, but next time we'll continue this further discussion about the greedy Pharisees. So until next time, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.